Welcome to Science Talk, the more or less weekly podcast of Scientific American, posted on January 14th, 2011. I'm Steve Mursky. On this episode, we'll hear from ScientificAmerican.com's Larry Greenmeyer with some big electric car news from the recent Consumer Electronics Show in Las Vegas. But first, our Michael Moyer spent part of January 13th at a first-of-its-kind event. I spoke to him by phone shortly after he got back. Michael, you were at uh, a fascinating event just earlier today. Why don't you tell us all about it? That's right. Uh, I went up today a little bit up into upstate New York um, to IBM's research facility there where they had a preview of the Watson Jeopardy Challenge. And, and what that is, is uh, is Watson is a computer, uh, it's really a software setup that IBM scientists have been working on for four years now, which has the um, purpose and intention of, in the, at least in the immediate future, of winning Jeopardy. And unlike chess, as you can recall, uh, you know, IBM created Deep Blue a number of years ago that eventually beat uh, the world champion Gary Kasparov in chess, uh, Jeopardy is a much more difficult problem than chess. Um, as the head research scientist in charge of the project, David Ferrucci, said today, you know, chess is a very limited space of possibilities and options that can happen on the board at any one time. Um, Jeopardy uh, has a few things that make it very unique and difficult, one of which is that uh, Jeopardy, you even to, to just understand the question, is very difficult for a computer. Jeopardy, uh, if you watch the program, you know that there's a lot of wordplay, um, a number of puns, uh, and to be able to understand the um, just the information that uh, Alex Trebek is looking for, you have to understand the context and a lot of language, and that's extremely difficult for computers to be able to do successfully. Uh, once you understand the question, of course, you have to find the answer, and it's not like they have a big um, tab-separated Excel sheet with all the possible answers to Jeopardy questions they have. Instead, what they do is they've got huge databases of reference materials and what have you, and the computer has to go through that database and um, figure out the sentence structure of all that material and then be able to link uh, the the question to the answer. And it also has to be able to do that, of course, in about three seconds. Let's let's just say... So that people will, uh, put their keyboards away. The, the, I can, I can tell that there are angry listeners who are, who are saying, there is no way that Ken Jennings is smarter than Gary Kasparov or Jeopardy is not nearly as profound, uh, an intellectual arena as chess, but we, we're talking about a specific kind of problem solving that a computer has a lot more trouble with than a human being and and chess is one thing, and Jeopardy is another thing. That's right. And nobody up there was saying today that this means that if, if Watson were to win, that now computers are smarter than people. That is that is not the the question that is being asked. Um, just just as it wasn't when uh, Deep Blue uh, beat Kasparov. It's not like chess, the uh, difficult and uh, and, uh, and and sublime as it is, is the ultimate test of human intelligence. This is really meant as kind of a, a test bed to be able to extract a, a huge amount of information um, from, from databases, from these very large databases, and to be able to query those databases in natural language terms and get back an answer very quickly um, in a way 
uh, and, and do it in a way that is very useful to the person asking the question. So what IBM wants to do after this Jeopardy challenge is to apply Watson to, for instance, the healthcare field where a doctor might be able to ask a computer a question um, that might help aid in diagnosis and, and be able to do that very quickly, drawing on a huge database, uh, more than any one person could ever be able to uh, expect it to understand in their lifetime. And if anybody's wondering, I'm assuming it's named not for Watson of Watson and Crick, but for Watson who ran IBM in the 50s. That's right, yeah, Thomas J. Watson. Who, who famously is quoted as saying, but really did not say, that uh, he couldn't foresee a need for more than four or five computers in the world at any time? That's right. Of course, this was at the time when computers were the size of approximately the Thomas J. Watson Research Center in upstate New York. And was Alex Trebek actually there today? Yeah, so it was It was great. Uh, it was a real show. This is actually where they're going to tape uh, the Jeopardy episodes uh, coming up. Um, they didn't say exactly when, but it will be airing. The first of three episodes will be on Valentine's Day, February 14th. And uh, Alec was there, uh, and Ken Jennings was there, and uh, Brad Rutter, who isn't as well-remembered as Ken Jennings, but he is the record holder for the highest cumulative ever am- amount uh, won by a Jeopardy player. He, he's won uh, just about $3.2 million dollars. Um, playing Jeopardy. So it will be a, a three-man slash machine contest. So what you saw today is actually going to air as an episode of Jeopardy? What, what I saw today was a little kind of test match. They did three categories worth, which is 15 questions. Watson got off to a flying start, got the first four, uh, and then from then on it was a little more evenly matched. Watson did end up winning had the highest dollar total of $4,400 compared to Ken Jennings, $3,400. But again, that was only, I guess, what it would be a quarter of the way through a real game. Uh, what we're going to see coming up next month is a um, three-day uh, three kind of tur- uh, uh, Tournament of Champions final type format where um, over the course of those three matches, then uh, the winner will be, will, will be determined. And Watson will be one of those participants. Absolutely, Watson okay. will be one of the one of the three participants, and they're playing for a uh, million dollars. The winner will get um, if IBM wins, they're going to give the entire thing to charity. If one of the other contestants win, they're going to give half of that to charity. So, what were the the uh, bullet points that they tried to make in addition to what you've already told us? Well. There were the two of the researchers spoke today, um, one of whom was uh, David Ferrucci, who's the principal investigator, and he's the guy who's really been the, the driving force be- behind the Watson project. Um, and he, you know, he spoke a lot about the challenges that this represented to be able to, to go forward and to be able to have a machine that is able to understand context. Uh, in the way that uh, humans can very quickly and easily understand context. It takes us almost no time at all uh, to, to kind of figure out um, if you're talking about um, uh, the word ran, if you're talking about actually running down the street, or if you're talking about um, running a company, for instance. It's, it's very easy for us to, to get from, from um, uh, the meaning of that just from the, the sentence that it's in. It's very difficult for a computer to understand that. Uh, so he talked a lot about those issues, and then we also had John Kelly, who's the um, director of IBM Research there, and he spoke about 
what Watson will be able to do in the future and the kinds of applications it might have. He emphasized healthcare heavily, as I mentioned. He also said it could be great in, in the fields of law, uh, in government, um, anytime where you have a, a, an incredible database of, of facts uh, that you need to be able to draw on very quickly uh, and get answers to in, in human language. So would you want Watson on your defense team if you're accused of something? I would want my defense team to certainly have access to a Watson, most certainly, and my doctor to be able to have access to a Watson. And if I were going to be on Jeopardy, I would want to have access to a Watson. Uh, one of the things that... They were talking about the contestants, Ken Jennings and Brad Rutter, had, had played test matches against Watson um, earlier in the day. And w- one of the things they commented on was Watson's very unique strategy for doing daily doubles. For those of you who don't watch Jeopardy, if you hit on a daily double, you could choose the amount of money that you want to bet. And you could either, if you get the question right, you get that amount of money. And if you don't, then you lose that amount of money. Most players on the show will, you know, say, oh, I'll bet $1,000 or $2,000, or they'll make it a true daily double and bet everything they have. Watson was apparently betting very strange and precise amounts, such as like $6,813, and no one could really kind of figure out exactly why Watson was betting these amounts, um, but clearly there's an algorithm somewhere that says that this is the smartest thing to bet. Well, that's really interesting, because you think you'd come away with you know, how the computer dealt with the questions, but not how it dealt with the betting strategy. Oh, the, the whole thing. I mean, every, you know, part of optimizing it for Jeopardy is understanding the, the, uh, the, the Jeopardy, the quirks of Jeopardy, you know, what, what some of the, the category, um, headings in Jeopardy, you know, have very specific meanings that you understand if you've been watching Jeopardy, but if you're a computer, you, you, you don't know what that is. They also had to buy, in order to, um, make the contest as fair as possible, uh, contestants on Jeopardy have to click a little um, button in mm-hmm. order to buzz in. Um, because they didn't want to give Watson an unfair advantage of just being able to electronically signal, they actually built a mechanical button clicker that Watson would then have to trigger, and then that me- mechanical device would have to come down on the button to give it the same amount of uh, of, of delay as the as the real contestants have. Well, I guess uh, we'll we'll have to tune in Jeopardy in the middle of February and catch those episodes. Yeah, I, I can't wait. And um, if judging from the performance today, when there was never any delay after a question was asked until one of the contestants tuned in and never one single incorrect answer, uh, I think it's going to be pretty spectacular. Somebody got every question right. Yes, some person got every every single question right. And And how will we be able to tell Watson apart from the other contestants uh, well uh, uh, they've they've created of course an avatar a digital avatar for, for Watson which is very IBM like it's a it's a planet and there's little bore atom type uh, strings going around it that you'll be able to see and uh, at the taping today he was in the the center position between the other two human contestants and whereas human contestants you know everyone writes down their name in cursive uh, on their uh, on the front of their uh, jeopardy um, uh, platform I guess whatever it is um, Watson was in Sans Serif. Okay, so that'll that'll help us figure out who's who. Yes, even with these incredible uh, multi-million-dollar winning Jeopardy contestants, they're not nearly as robotic as Watson's supercomputer. The Watson Computer Jeopardy Challenge will be featured on a special episode of the PBS Science Series Nova on February 9th. It's part of a three-episode package airing all through primetime that evening. 
that also features Scientific American contributor David Pogue and his new series on making smarter materials. Check your local listings. ScientificAmerican.com's Larry Greenmeyer was in Las Vegas for the Consumer Electronics Show last week. He talked with Brad Probert, the project manager for Ford's Transit Connect vehicle and all-electric van. But there was bigger news about another vehicle the day Larry and Brad spoke. Now, so what exactly was announced today? Uh, so there was a number of things. Uh, uh, the big one, of course, was the reveal of uh, Focus Electric. So it uh, goes into production later this year. Is that going to be fully electric? Yeah, fully electric. Uh, it's got a battery, 23 kilowatt hours. Um, a big uh, advantage we have with that is uh, the charge time. we got a, a nice uh, power rating inverter. So with that, the charge time, a little over three hours with a 240-volt connection. So... Um, you know, it really brings down a lot of the, uh, like, one, there's a number of inhibitors, not inhibitors, but challenges with the right. new battery technology, right? There's there's range, there's recharge time and cost, of course. So, uh, you know, really working on shortening the recharge time helps eliminate one of those concerns. Well, how will the cost of the electric focus compare with, you know, if you were to go out and get a combustion engine focus? I mean, is, is it going to be, you know, 5%, 3% premium? Yeah, pricing hasn't been set yet. Oh, okay. okay. Um, it, I mean, obviously, it would tell you that it's going to be more expensive. But so uh, some of the other stuff that we uh, announced was uh, some of the applications to help again, kind of get uh, when you go from a gasoline vehicle to electric vehicle. There's kind of a different. Uh, you have to assume different driving situations. So as a as a customer, you go into it knowing, okay, it doesn't have. I can't drive forever and stop at all these gas stations and drive through the night or something. Um, but to help make it more uh, user-friendly, uh, there's an application that's going to be available in an electric vehicle for, um, you can go onto your phone, you can control certain features of your vehicle remotely. So let's say you go into work or something, or you go into a store, uh, you can monitor functions of your vehicle, like uh, you can remotely turn on the heating or the air conditioning while it's charging to get the, the vehicle to a good temperature before you drive to save on your battery life. Um, you can set the charge time when it comes on. Uh, we got a partnership with Microsoft for value charging, where Microsoft works with the utility companies to define charging rates and times a day. So with this application, you can set it up to say, hey, I want to charge at the lowest rates, and it'll know what time of night that is, and it'll come on and charge for you and shut off. That's been talked about a lot. So Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so like one of, one of the key differences... Uh, our technology through that partnership with Microsoft and the utility companies is we know the time of day and with the short charge time, the much shorter charge time, um, you're able to really get into that low-cost utility. And if utility companies change the time of day or it shifts or, or whatever, you don't have to know that information, the application, and the, it all takes care of it for yourself. You just say, you know, give me the cheapest charge time and it knows how long you need. Um, some of the other features with that application are... Uh, uh, knowing locations of charge stations, which is another big concern. So it shows you your range, you know, in a graphical partners with MapQuest. Uh, shows charge stations within that range. Are you going to roll this out in particular markets first, or is it nationwide? What's the plan for that? Uh, it initially launches about 19 cities. Um, so it's fairly broad all across the U.S., you know, trying to get good information about, you know, users in all areas, um, and then after that, ramp up to, you know, the, the entire country. So, yeah, and one of the other neat features of that mapping application is uh, you can uh, you can plan your trip. So, 
it knows your battery charge on your phone. You could be sitting at a desk at your office. You got your car sitting out there. You know how much battery life. And you say, okay, well, I need to stop by this store. So you plug in the store. It knows how far it is. It tells you how much battery. Okay, yeah, you can go there. Okay, then after that, I got to, you know, run by, pick up my kid from school, and then I'm going to go home. And it tells you if you got enough charging for that. If not, you can turn the vehicle on to power up. So a lot of, like, uh, you know, interesting technology things to make the electric vehicle ownership experience. You know, you got to drive different. you got to think different. So you, right. so you need these new tools, like with a gas vehicle and you're going to go somewhere. You don't go on the computer and say, oh, where's the closest gas station, right? right? You know, but, it's gonna, you're going to find it. Yeah, one. you're going to find yeah. it, right? So, so, yeah, it's, you know, pushing new technology and creative ways to make electric vehicles more, uh, you know, a reasonable proposition for consumers. Is there a reason why Ford decided to go with a model that people already knew and recognized as opposed to like with Chevy where they created a completely new... Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, because uh, um, two big things for us, both the Transit Connect and the Focus uh, follow the same philosophy of we take an existing vehicle, a vehicle that's engineered and designed and tested. Popular. Popular, right. So you've got so all the non-electric vehicle functions are there for you. You've got, you know, it seems simple, but you got good windshield wipers, you got good tires, you got good suspension, you got nice seats, you got all the basic vehicle functions you want already designed and developed for a you know high volume, great vehicle. Then you add the electric vehicle part to it. So it helps give you a much better vehicle package because you're not having to develop an entire vehicle just for a specific use. You've got the vehicle developed, you just develop the powertrain. Right. The other thing, advantage of that is then you have platform scalability. So you get the powertrain and interface to work with the Focus. So then that platform, that C car platform, and if you make it in different forms, you build it in different countries, you have that ability. You can take that electric vehicle, you can build it in your plant in the U.S., you can take it, you can build it in your plant in uh, Sarlouis in Germany. So, you know, the manufacturing flexibility with that was key also. Was there anything else that was new today as of, as of today's keynote? There were some more interactive features with the eco-driving guides, eco-driving habits, like uh, very specific techniques and regenerative braking helps uh, increase your range. So and there's some guides in there that help you visually get a sense for how good you're doing at economical driving for battery life. Right. Um, and it, it's a way to give you a gauge without having to read something or study it. It's like, it's like a good visual. You're going down the road. You can right. see how it's going. I guess as a consumer, you need to do things different so we're giving new tools instead of somebody, okay, here's your electric car. Good luck. You know, it's right. like, you know, right. really helping out. I guess the other thing we announced was... Uh, you know, partnership with Levitron and the uh, Best Bike Geek Squad for uh, charger installation. Oh, okay, good. Yeah. So, uh, partnering with them to uh, be the installer for your home use. So, and I guess the different different chargers on the state on the market. A lot of them are very uh, structured. You got to build it into your house, and uh, obviously, you got to add the electrical supply anyway. But when you build a charger physically in your house, well, if you move, you know what do you do? You have to go buy a new charger. So this installation gives you the ability to mobile. You can pull it off the wall and plug it and go. Is it two ten or, or, or one one? I'm sorry, yeah. two twenty or one ten. Yeah, 220. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you really need to do that. I mean, for the high-voltage batteries, the amount of power you got to use, you know, it's not like a home computer or something. You're really using a lot of juice. That's it for this episode. Get your science news at www.scientificamerican.com. 
But you can check out our interactive feature, Seven Amazing Exoplanets. And follow us on Twitter, where you'll get a tweet about each new article posted to our website. Our Twitter handle is at Siam, S-C-I-A-M. And don't forget to get the new free Scientific American Advances app for your smartphone or tablet. For Science Talk, the podcast of Scientific American, I'm Steve Mursky. Thanks for clicking on us. Thank you.